welcome to episode 79 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Gary. And I'm Amalith. Good to talk to you both again. Recently, we got talking about the right to be forgotten. And Gary, you brought up some interesting points about how that affects open source. So for context, there are various laws around the world. The EU, I believe, was the first that gave you the right to be forgotten from search results and have your data deleted if you wanted it to be. But like I said, that has some interesting unintended consequences when it comes to open source. A lot of the tools that are around, we'll just say independent open source projects, right? What I mean by that is things that like aren't hosted at GitHub or on GitLab or something like that. A lot of these projects, including Pigeon, have a long, long history of using stuff like GNU Mailman or maybe Edgewall Track or something like that. And these tools come from a different era where people weren't thinking about like deleting stuff, right? Like it was made public on the internet. It's just going to stay there. So what ends up happening when somebody files a request to be forgotten is there is a boatload of work that ends up having to happen to do that. And for something simple like track, what we would typically do is, you know, we just randomize their username and that mostly covers it. But when it comes to something like GNU Mailman, where you're talking about mailing list archives, especially for like support mailing list, things can get really, really complicated really quick because the user doesn't necessarily know what needs to be cleaned up. And that means you have to go search for it. And does that include email signatures? Does that include salutations? And the, the whole thing just becomes a giant mess and a giant burden on the open source project. And I want to be clear. I think right to be forgotten is something that should be supported, but like there needs to be a certain understanding when it comes to tooling that's just not there. It's like, I'm sorry that the tools suck, but like I can't dedicate an entire day to removing your name because that's detrimental to the project. Yeah, because with a mailing list, for example, it's not just a case of deleting just that one person's posts from the mailing list because they'll then be quoted in a bunch of other emails. So you end up having to just nuke whole threads, which is not ideal for an open source project. Precisely, right? What if it's a support request and that has the one and only solution that everything links to, and now it's deleted? So not only was it detrimental to the project itself by taking time away from it, you've now also hurt all the other users until that thread gets identified as being deleted and you basically recreate it until the next person decides they want to be forgotten and you have to start the whole process over again. Is this an argument against mailing lists generally, maybe, and that wikis are a way better form of uh, documenting things? And maybe not wikis, but other solutions that don't involve a mailing list. I think it definitely could be. One of the other problems with mailing lists are there's a bunch of websites out there. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but they mirror mailing lists, right? So in case the mailing list goes down, there's a mirror of it somewhere. So the other problem with doing right to be forgotten on a mailing list is then all those mirrors either have to update or you have to request it from them and stuff like that. And it's just this never ending process of digging through email to delete somebody's name because they didn't understand what a public mailing list meant. Now that said, at least for Pigeon, we've now killed our mailing list because anybody who's tried to set up and manage email nowadays knows it's a giant pain. So we've migrated everything to discourse, which is, you know, basically along what you're saying kind of thing. And Discourse does have it easy. It even does self-service, I believe, where a user can just anonymize themselves and they don't even have to request anything from us. 
So this gets back to my thing about, you know, the tools now support that kind of thing, whereas the old stuff doesn't. Discourse also has a mailing list mode. So people who are used to a mailing list type workflow can interact with Discourse that same way. I tried to do a little bit with that because we had a lot of people that were very set on using email still. Mm -hmm. And it didn't seem to work nearly as well as mailing list does. But maybe, maybe I missed something. It's very possible. Yeah, and Discourse has a bunch of plugins as well. You can make it into almost a Reddit-like thing these days as well. That's what Jim from Turn Off Admins did, for example. Yeah, one of the cool things too is there's a, a plugin where you can mark something as a solution, mm-hmm. which will make it very Stack Overflowy too. So like our support section on Discourse has that plugin turned on. So when we actually solve it for somebody, we mark that as a solution. And that hopefully you know keeps people from having to triage through everything and looking for stuff and all that. And it just makes our life easier because, yeah, there's the answer. It's already documented. You don't have to go dig for it. What about public IRC logs? That must be a nightmare. We don't do public IRC logs, but um, XMPP can do public logs as well. And we also don't do that. It's just because we haven't set it up. But um, that, that would be another scenario where you have to go through and delete everything. But more importantly, a lot of people get upset if you don't tell them that the logs are public when they join the channel. And with public logs, like going off of IRC, Matrix recently had a huge problem with illegal content. They had a crawler, and this was, as far as I'm aware, the Matrix Foundation itself created this crawler that spidered all of Matrix and joined as many public channels as it could, and it ingested all of the messages and videos and images and re-hosted those publicly without authentication. So anyone on the internet could just search for stuff and find messages in these channels. And I, I started poking around because I knew Matrix has historically had a problem with this illegal content. And it was probably within like five minutes that I found a bunch of different channels with a massive amount of this content. And I don't remember exactly how long it was, but very shortly after they made it public, they closed it again because they didn't realize just how big of a problem it was and how they just made all of it so easily accessible. Yeah, that's one of the things you run into when you start hosting a public chat is you've got to police that stuff. A while ago, we launched an XMPP service for people to reach the Pigeon developers. And I very consciously did not federate that virtual host because I'm like, I do not want to become, I I don't want to have to deal with any of that activity, right? So the people that connect to that service, they can talk to the Pigeon community. They can't get anywhere else. (laughs) That's the whole point of it is because I don't have time to go do that or, you know, the legal expertise to handle it. And you also disallowed them from creating groups, right? Yeah, they can't create rooms or anything. They can just join existing and DM each other. Now, DMing each other is still potentially problematic, but it's limited to just them. I wonder if this extends to code even. Like if you've contributed to a project and then you want your contributions to be forgotten, how does that even work? So it doesn't. Due to the way that all version control systems work right now, The author's name is part of the commit hash, the commit hash being a Merkle tree, which means that the hash of the previous commit is in the next commit, makes it impossible to change the author after the fact. You can, but it's not feasible at all because it requires rewriting the entire tree from that point. Yeah, basically you would break everybody's clones and everybody would have to reclone. 
And this is one of the ways where right to be forgotten can really be weaponized against open source projects. Because if somebody absolutely insists on that, the amount of effort that's going to go into rewriting your entire code base and making sure everyone's up to date between support, build agents, all the broken links, referencing commits, everything, it's, it's just an absolute nightmare. That said, that doesn't mean nobody's trying to figure out a solution for it. I'm not aware of anybody doing it. I have some thoughts to do it. And I keep threatening I'm going to write my own version control system at some point, but I'm not doing it today <laughs> kind of thing. Why don't you start with a kernel first? Maybe that'd be a bit easier. <laughs> well, I, I've got a couple pieces of a forge already built. So, you know, just building my own version control, whatever. It won't be a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> How hard can it be, eh? Yeah, and it's just time. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> That's infinite, right? Time is infinite in open source. Got enough contributors. Time's infinite. Yeah, exactly. Okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Banish the end-of-summer blues with HelloFresh. No need to stress about how you'll handle it all this autumn, because HelloFresh takes care of the meal planning and delivers pre-proportioned ingredients right to your home. The key to dinnertime success? Variety. HelloFresh keeps your taste buds on their toes with 40 chef-crafted recipes to select from every week. From family-friendly to fit and wholesome, you'll always find new and exciting recipes to try and to love. Amalith tried HelloFresh and said the kits came with exactly the right ingredients in the right amounts and saved his roommate and him from having to spend hours shopping around at the store. The dishes were all really simple to prepare and cook and they came out tasting great. So support the show and go to hellofresh.com slash 50LDT and use code 50LDT for 50% off plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash 50LDT and use code 50LDT for 50% off plus free shipping. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxdowntime.com slash support. And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxdowntime.com. Let's do some feedback then. Emil got in touch regarding the episodes that we did with Molly White. Yes, we know you and everyone around the show family hate crypto slash blockchain slash Bitcoin slash Web3 slash etc. with a passion. That is fine. And you've expressed that repeatedly. That is also fine. You even have a lot of good points. But it is getting tiresome to just hear the same thing again and again. It would be entertaining if it was Phelim that, without nuance, repeatedly railed against it any chance he got. But when it's everyone, always, it gets real old real fast. I respect that you do not want to promote it in any way by including any other views on the show, but could you at least stop beating the dead horse? And the answer, Emil, is no. We are not going to stop beating the dead horse until the horse is dead. Until (laughs) Bitcoin and all the other crypto shitcoins go to zero dollars in value and people move on, I will not stop going on about it because I don't even know where to start with it. The environmental impact, the fact that it's a big Ponzi scheme, the fact that NFTs are somehow still around, even though it's just obviously a scam, just the worst kind of grift. And as long as people are promoting it and getting people to join the Ponzi scheme, I and I hope all of us will continue to talk about why it's bad and why you should not get involved with cryptocurrencies. So a lot of you know, I I stream Pigeon's development on Twitch. 
And on Twitch, you know, you can set up tips and donations and stuff like that. And for a couple of years now, I've used a tool that allowed me to accept crypto and it would show alerts on stream and stuff like that. Last week, Coinbase decided I violated their terms of service somehow and closed my account. I still have access to the funds, but like everyone's like, oh, crypto, it's free. It's borderless. There's no government getting in the way, blah, blah, blah. You still have to deal with the exchanges if you want to get it to fiat currency at some point. And as a U.S. citizen, we have very, very few choices when it comes to an exchange. And now I've lost access to one of them for apparently no reason. And they're refusing to tell me what I did. But you can get your money out if you want it. Yeah, I can transfer it out to another wallet, but I can't turn it into fiat currency. Right. So he could maybe send it to another exchange that would allow him to cash it out. But then there were going to be fees in that process. And maybe the other exchange has like... I'm going to have to go through KYC again. And that other exchange might have like a, a minimum withdrawal amount that he doesn't meet. There's all this red tape and bureaucracy that's just a pain in the ass that the crypto pros say don't exist. But it does. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, if you keep it in crypto, if you pay for things in crypto, then it's it's fine, right? But that's just not realistic, is it? No. And, you know, for years, we had a crypto address, a, a Bitcoin address for people to donate to. And I think that some people did. And yeah, thank you for that. And that's just going to sit on the blockchain. And I've backed up the keys to the wallet and everything. So if I change my mind on this, we'll get access to that. But it, I just think that's very, very unlikely. And at some point, I just realized what a scam it was. And it was NFTs that opened my eyes to it. Like, I was always like, mm, about it. And then NFTs happened. And I was like, right, okay. It was this dawning realization that the whole thing is just a scam. I hired a friend of mine sometime last year to to do some work for me. And he lives in Albania. And I thought, oh, I'll go along with the crypto stuff. I'll try paying him in a cryptocurrency because it should be pretty easy for him to get it out with fewer fees than the quote unquote proper routes. So I sent him the money. He signed up for Coinbase. Well, Coinbase won't allow him to sell his crypto for fiat currency because he lives in Albania. He looked around at other exchanges and none of them do. I don't know whether that's like an Albania legal system thing or whether exchanges are just like, no, we don't want to operate here, but he couldn't get the money out. So he couldn't use it. So he sent it back to me and I did have to go through the quote unquote proper channels to pay him. And it's funny that recently there was a bit of uh, drama with the Tor project. Yeah, the Tor project posted on the Fediverse about five days ago and said, we're happy to be included in the Web3 open source software round of this iteration of Gitcoin grants. Help us unlock up to 300,000 in matching funds by making a donation to Tor and other Web3 open source projects before August 29th. And they link to the Gitcoin campaign, whatever thing. And the replies to this post are full of one of two kinds of people, either people who are saying they're extremely disappointed with the Tor project for going along with all this crap, or reply guys who are just replying to every single one of those people who say they're disappointed and saying, oh, you're just set up financially, you're sitting up in an ivory tower shitting on projects who need money and all this other stuff. And it's just a bit of a shit show. 
Yeah, someone said, encouraging people to use cryptocurrencies. I expected better from the Tor project and then some weird emoji. Oh yeah, I wonder who that was. Yeah, that's the first reply. I see you got in there early. I didn't intend to get in there early. I just saw it on my timeline and I piled on a little bit. Because <laughs> I do expect better from the Tor project. It's a great piece of software developed by great people. I was at DEF CON last week and donated some money to them in person because I believe in it. I've run guard nodes. I've run exit nodes. I do think Tor is absolutely necessary, but they shouldn't be promoting, actively asking people to donate through cryptocurrencies. Yeah, exactly. It just sullies the name of yeah. the project, doesn't it? It's like when Mozilla flirted with it and everyone piled on. And, you know, it, it just makes you look bad if you get associated with crypto. That's why I took the wallet address off the support page, because ultimately it just isn't worth the reputational damage, I don't think. I just didn't want to be associated with it anymore. And Gary, I mean, you are in a, a rough position, right, with Pigeon. We've talked many times about the funding problem. And so you must have some sympathy with the Tor project wanting to get some, you know, $300,000 is a lot of money, man. It is, yeah. But I mean, it always comes down to the, how do you get the money out of the wallet? Mm. Most people aren't going to accept a salary of Bitcoin, which is kind of funny. And a question for you about the uh, reputational damage. My stance now is a little bit more nuanced because for about a year and a half to two years, I worked as a DevOps on a large Bitcoin exchange. And after, you know, just seeing things working and how everything works there, it's just like, I got to go. This is not the place for me. So, like, I can understand the appeal because, you know, we're talking about large sums of money and stuff like that. And that's great. But trying to get that money into the people's hands that are actually going to do the work always becomes a problem. And even Pigeon, we have a nonprofit above us as our legal entity. We would have to run funds through that, stuff like that. And, I mean, we don't have an accountant on staff to, like, take care of that stuff. So, we have to figure it out, too, right? Obviously, I would assume the Tor project has at least a part-time accountant or something, somebody that can help with that. But it's these are all extra levels that add on to the simplicity of cryptocurrency and how it works around the system. But once you try to bring that back into the system, that's where everything just gets outrageously out of control. So in short, sorry, ML, we'll keep going on about it as often as anyone reminds us about it. I do have a bit of a correction. Earlier, you said we were going to keep beating the dead horse until it was dead. Well, if it's dead you can't make it more dead <laughs> well exactly it's not a dead horse is yeah. it that's the whole point of this it's very much alive and still scamming people left right and center mm -hmm. desperate people who think that it's some get rich scheme maybe not get rich quick but the, the whole point of it is that people who got in early need to get new people involved all the time they need to spread the word of it to keep the whole pyramid scheme going and the only way to shut it down is to stop new people being attracted into it and buying into it. And it's just very disappointing when you see people who got in early trying to get other people in because that's just what it is. It's just a pyramid scheme. Anyway, I'm supposed to be stopping ranting about this. It pisses some people off. But I would apologize, but I won't because it needs to be said to the people who don't fully understand how bad this stuff is. I agree. Yep. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Gary. And I've been Amalith. See you later. <laughs>